So as I explained uh, last week, in many ways, this pair of talks um, settled in my mind on two of Paul's uh, farewells last week. We saw him saying farewell to the elders in the church in Ephesus. Actually, he's addressing the same church here as he talks to Timothy. Um, uh, last week, the, the emphasis, Paul's and um, especially mine, the emphasis was on convictions about ministry, convictions about gospel ministry. And uh, those kinds of convictions come up in the passage before us. This time, as Paul says goodbye to Timothy, it seems, anticipating his death. We don't know quite when he wrote this. He, he, uh, uh, the earliest traditions suggest that what happened in Paul's life is that he got to Rome and were uh, under arrest, as we read at the end of Acts. But he was actually vindicated and released on that occasion. He went to Spain, another round of evangelistic ministry in Spain, but he was finally arrested uh, there, brought to Rome, and this time not released, but martyred. And um, uh, the earliest suggestions are that 2 Timothy was written on this subsequent occasion when he was pretty sure he was going to die. Um, it feels like that as we read the letter. Well, I thank the Lord that I'm not there yet. Um, uh, I'm hoping the Lord gives us a few more decades of uh, life and ministry for a little while. But it is not bad for all of us to think about the day of our death. To think about that moment when actually we look back over the whole of our life and uh, try to make some kind of assessment. For, for us, us who are much younger, that simply feels like sort of foreign territory to us. When I felt immortal when I was uh, as young, I think nearly everybody does. And yet, uh, it is important for us at every age and stage to be thinking from that perspective, as we try to uh, make decisions and live for Christ in this world. So um, uh, I want us just to step back and to do that and to gain, uh, to see what Paul's conviction about life are, life in general. And I actually want to do just one thing, really, the, uh, uh, this morning, um, I want to leave you with a passion to, learn, to love and serve Christ for all of your life in everything that you do. Uh, I don't know whether we will achieve that, but I think that in part is what the Apostle is want, wanting to do. And it will be, there won't be deep, deep exegetical insights, I don't think. It will be much more of a, uh, of a chat, I hope, this morning. Here's some convictions that Paul seems to have that is worth reflecting on. A big one that we'll spend um, the majority of our time on comes out very, very obviously in these final remarks to Timothy, and that is this. It's worth investing in people. I was uh, talking to one of my brothers a little while ago, and um, apropos of nothing, he said to me, you know that your social circle is, is infinitely bigger than any of the rest of us in the family, don't you? 
And um, that made me think. I realized that we have been enormously, massively blessed over the years through being part of a church and being involved in investing in people. There is a deep richness in in that. And uh, I feel massively, massively blessed by what God has given um, us the opportunity to do over the years in, in Maudlin Road and, uh, and elsewhere. Um, frankly, actually, I was born a misanthrope. Um, I remember when I was first a Christian, uh, going to uh, a home group and looking around at the people in that home group and thinking, dearie me, have I got to, does being a Christian mean I've got to associate with these kinds of people? And I remember six months later, realizing that that thought had dis- just disappeared and that I loved these people in a way that I'd never loved people actually before I was a Christian. And I realized that God was changing my hearts. And that, I can tell you, is a miracle. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Paul I have no idea in his non-Christian state whether he was a misanthrope too, but, uh, but as a mature believer has a deep richness in his relationships. He has faithful friends. For instance, Luke in verse 11. Luke was, is with me, he says. We know something about Luke. He wrote, after all, the gospel and acts. We know that Luke stuck with Paul over many years of ministry and no doubt risked his life too. Other faithful friends, verse 19, Priscilla and Aquila, um, we know something about. They uh, met Paul in Corinth. They, they went with Paul to Ephesus originally. They lived in Rome for a while doing ministry. Um, and um, uh, here, here they are apparently back, back, back in Ephesus, a faithful couple who had provided hospitality for Paul, provided a context within which the church could meet in Corinth and, uh, uh, and served alongside um, Paul. Other faithful friends, verse 20, Erastus, who Paul says has stayed in Corinth. This may be a man who actually became uh, the the edile, the city treasurer in Corinth, an important um, man and a faithful friend, no doubt a financial benefactor to Paul as well. He just had rich, rich relationships, which I've enjoyed over, over the years. Wonderful support from wonderful people, all kinds of people. Let me, let me name um, a few, though, just, um, well, I can't embarrass two of them because they're dead. Uh, a man called Harold Poyser, who some will remember, um, here was a wonderful man of prayer when I first arrived. And I'm sure that there were, there were many situations, many of my worst defects were... were um, uh, not allowed full reign as a result of Harold's prayer. Or, or another man, Roy Enoch, who's with the Lord in glory now, who was, who was both kind and wise. And uh, I have to name Brian Hennigolf as well, who uh, it, it encapsulates all, all of those. The, the, this church owes an enormous lot amount to past uh, godly leaders. And uh, Judy and I have been enormously enriched by them. Our, our children have as well been enriched by this church. I remember when um, 
uh, when they were just getting to an age where they could go down to town on their own or with their friends. And they would go down to, uh, into town and with their friends and inevitably there would be someone who would stop and talk to them. And their little, little friends said, you know adults <laughs> and they talk to you? That was just normal for them. That was, that was the family that they'd, uh, they'd been brought up in. And uh, I can't help but look out now and uh, the Kaylee last night and, uh, and um, on other occasions and just be enormously thankful to God for the richness of relationships that we have enjoyed over the years. And I, I hope and pray we'll continue to enjoy because we've still got friends who uh, we ministered amongst in Cambridge uh, 20 years ago. Don't lose touch. And don't be afraid yourself to invest in people. There is enormous reward in it. Oxford has a... Um, a high turnover, so the Apostle Paul's experiences of pain, in part, will be ours too. He had lots and lots of separated friends. Um, for instance, Crescens, in verse 10, has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to um, Dalmatia. Um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, we've already mentioned, but they're uh, absent from Paul now. Verse um, uh, 12, uh, Tychicus is... Um, has been sent by Paul to Ephesus, both in the normal turnover of life and indeed in people engaging with in ministry. People move on and there is a pain to that. I think that's one of the reasons why an enormous, uh, um, uh, um, some people find it enormously difficult to invest in the new people. As Martin Grote was saying, you know, you just know they're going to be gone in a little while. I remember a lady in our church in Cambridge which had a similar uh, turnover. She used to weep every time someone went. And that made her weep really rather often. That's the life that one is called to in um, uh, particularly a city like this. But don't be afraid to invest in those people. Don't hold back. Don't, don't, don't think, oh, they'll be gone tomorrow, I can't bear it, I'll just, you know, just let them float around. Invest in deep relationships. You don't know where God is going to send them. You don't know whether the relationship will be a long-term one or a short-term one that just naturally, naturally dies. You don't know the fruit that will come from that investment. You have no control over that, but you... Uh, we are called to invest in people. I could tell you stories of wonderful fruit that has come from relatively random investment in people. Not necessarily fruit here, but it grows. As the Apostle Paul knew, don't be afraid to invest in people. And frankly, 
through engaging those relationships, you, you, there will be some grating as well, some difficulties sometimes. Uh, uh, um, Mark, in verse 11, appears. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Almost certainly that's John Mark, and if you know the, uh, uh, the story, um, he went with Paul initially on a missionary journey with Barnabas, Paul decided, we're not quite sure why, that he didn't want him with him afterwards. It seemed, it seemed to be that, frankly, that John Mark was just a little bit flaky. And um, that caused a significant rift between Paul and Barnabas. And uh, history does not tell us who was right. Barnabas was inclined to keep him along. He's a young man, he may have failed a bit, but let's, let's encourage him along. Paul was inclined to say, no, he doesn't qualify for gospel ministry at the moment. Uh, he can't come at the moment. By this time, he clearly, in Paul's mind, does. Was Paul right? Was Barnabas right? We simply don't know. Maybe they both were. But the reality is, that it does put strain on relationships being engaged in gospel ministry. But don't let that make you afraid to do it. Don't be afraid to invest in in people. Frankly, there's even worse sometimes that happens, and it clearly has happened to Paul here. Demas, verse 9, Uh, Verse 10, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Had he he abandoned the faith? Or had he just simply, from Paul's perspective, made a decisive, bad decision as a believer because he uh, loved the world more than he loved Jesus Christ? And, and the Lord was going to have to work with him over time to see the outcome of that. We don't know, but what we do know is that here is a clear and painful rift that Paul has, even in his old age. Not to mention Alexander, the metal worker, verse 14, he did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Did he initially perhaps respond positively to Paul, but then rapidly become a heretic? Was he just someone who stood up against Paul from the beginning? We simply do not know. But he did Paul a great deal of harm. But don't be afraid to invest in people. You can't tell... who the Demases are in advance, for instance. The ones who finally will, because they love this world, stop functionally following Jesus. You simply can't tell. Paul speaks in Colossians chapter 4 of Demas as one of his trusted associates. You just invest in them. You can't tell whether someone is going to continue to fail or whether, in fact, in time they will grow to maturity, like John Mark. You just invest in them. And we find the power and the strength to invest in people because, in the end, 
Our life does not depend upon those people. No, our vitality and our resilience rests somewhere else. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, he says. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a real irony in this. Paul, Paul spent his life giving his, uh, himself to others, but actually in his moment of need, he said, no one, no one came to my support. It's very like Jesus, isn't it? Indeed, if we invest in people, thinking that that is just an investment whereby when we will necessarily yield the dividends later on, we will become disappointed and give up. He could invest in people and reinvest in people and continue right towards the end of his life being interested in people and concerned about them because ultimately he had an unbreakable relationship. It was from Jesus Christ who had rescued him and will rescue him and he knew would bring him safely home. Now, I I want to say that to you as a life commitment. I'm not talking just about gospel ministers. I'm talking about all of us as believers having a life commitment to invest in people. I could take you to wonderful um, older saints up and down the country in churches who have just throughout their life blessed people and blessed people and blessed people and who are loved then, sometimes by hundreds of people because of a life spent investing in the lives of others. There are few things richer than doing that and few places where it is more important and valuable than in a church like this where people pass through, where people's lives are being shaped and formed, and where, frankly, we don't know what the long-term outcome of one another's lives will be. But don't let that make you cautious or cynical or reserved. It didn't for the apostle. Invest in people. And it is worth says the Apostle, giving your all to serve Christ. That's um, very obvious in a vivid image and metaphor that he uses in verse 6. I am already being poured out, he says, like a drink offering. Drink offering was was, uh, an offering in the Old Testament um, on top of the core sacrifice. An animal would be... um, Uh, would be sacrificed and that was the sort of central feature of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament but 
as a, as, a, as a symbol almost of generous, overwhelming, self-giving of the worshipper, uh, an amount of, of wine would be poured out on that offering as uh, a drink offering. Paul uses it in part because he senses himself being poured out to death. That his, that his life is running away, so to speak, and it won't be long before he meets uh, his maker face to face. He makes that plain when he talks about the time of my departure is near. That's another image of um, a loosening of moorings, like a ship loosening its moorings, like that, like that scene at the end of Lord of the Rings where, uh, in which Frodo leaves um, and uh, sails off into the distance in a, in a boat. That's the, that's the image that Paul has to say. Um, uh, he senses that he is leaving this present world and going into the presence of his Lord. And he uses the, uh, the image of being poured out in part to summon that picture. But also, there is a really strong sense that as his life is poured out, it is poured out... As a, as a libation, as, a, as an overwhelming extra on top of the core sacrifice that God has called him to do. He, he uh, tells us elsewhere that he searched for ways to go beyond actually simply obeying the minimum what God had called him to do and to, to, to pour out his love to God um, by, by going the extra mile, so to speak. And here he's using that, uh, that image again. It is worth being poured out for Christ, he says. Because, verse 8, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. He is looking forward to the crown of righteousness, a crown, probably the central image is of an honour given on completing a race, but maybe it's, it's, a, it's a, a mark of office as, the, as the, the junior comes into his inheritance as well, inherits a title. Um, whatever it is, we know that it is the great glory and joy that he has ahead of him of hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. And therefore no amount of service is a loss to him in any sense because even the tiniest cup of cold water given to one of my little ones is not forgotten and gets caught up into that great and glorious reward that we are promised when we meet Jesus face to face, and therefore there is nothing, he says, that, is, that, that, that we should hold back from in giving our lives to Christ. We can be poured out as that drink offering and feel no sense of loss, even if it pours us out to death. Because after all, the rewards in this life are as nothing to our eternal rewards. It is worth pouring yourself out for Christ. Younger people here, it is worth investing 
in really good foundations of that kind of sacrificial service in all dimensions of what it means to be a believer. To invest deeply in in understanding your faith. To invest deeply in Christian disciplines so that you pray faithfully for people. To invest deeply in service amongst God's people. To invest deeply in learning what your style of witness is in the world. So that you have, have good, solid foundations and are able to pour yourself out for Christ in a lifetime of service. People who are reaching the age of families. It is so, so important not to become submerged under family responsibilities. One of the things in our culture at the moment is that the way that life goes, there is a certain stage of life that hits, to be honest, particularly men, really, really hard. At just the stage when jobs are getting to to a certain level of responsibility and time demand, so usually family and children get to that level of, of time demand, and church leaders up and down the country say, are are people who were growing well up to that point disappear? They simply withdraw into being just a face in the crowd on a Sunday morning, but they're not really actively engaged in serving Christ because it is easy, so easy, to become submerged under those pressures at that time of life. It is forcing churches up and down the country to to actually use younger leaders who aren't really ready for it because those who should be are being dragged, having the life sucked out of them by all the rest of the responsibilities of life. And you may think that it was easier as a pastor um, uh, not to get sucked into that, but I can assure you there were enormous pressures as well. And I want to say to you, keep that discipline of pouring yourself out for Christ. It is worth giving your all to serve Christ. Not least for those kids, for instance, of yours. Who you think are the ones that you're serving by letting yourself be drawn away from other sacrificial service of Jesus. I tell you, if they grow up believing that actually Jesus is second best to anything else, including them, they will grow up compromised in their vision of Christianity. Not that we desert them, not that we abandon them, but as responsible parents, we also model a life of being poured out for Jesus. Middle-aged people. I wonder whether it's cynicism at that stage of life, when we've been there, tried it, had our, uh, um, got the badge, had the disappointments, we don't want to go there again, whatever it is. Don't. Um, lose sight that it is worth being poured out as a drink offering for Jesus Christ. It really is. And in old age, don't retire. Don't retire from being a sacrificial, committed Christian. Yes, it may change. I sense and feel in my own life, the need to adjust the ways in which I commit to, to serving Jesus. 
But retirement is not particularly a biblical um, uh, image. And indeed, here's Paul, who thinks he may be dead within weeks, saying, verse 13, bring my scrolls, and especially the parchments. In other words, I I want to continue to study the Bible. I want to continue to learn new things about Jesus Christ. I want to continue to keep myself mentally active, stimulated by the truths and realities of the Christian faith right up to the day that I die. It is worth being poured out as a drink offering to serve Jesus. And it is worth keeping going. Verse 7. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith, he says. Three images which are absolutely familiar to the apostle. He uses them in various places. The Christian life, he says, is a fight. It is a battle. It is... It, it, it is It is hard combat. It is face-to-face combat with our enemy, the devil, with our own inner um, uh, heart sometimes. It is wrestling. It is a race as well. There is a, 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 a kind of athleticism which is necessary to be a believer I'm very relieved to say it's not the physical athleticism entirely, or I would be a visible failure before you. But um, uh, uh, there is a certain exercise, a certain discipline necessary for runners and necessary for the Christian life. Remember, it is a long-distance run. A friend of mine said to me years and years ago, Better to live your whole life at 90% capacity and um, uh, give decades to it than live for 10 years at 110% and then collapse in some way. But people in gospel ministry, actually, at about my age, are collapsing in different ways up and down the country in distressing numbers. Um, But it's the same for all of life, or everyone in life. Set out now for a long-distance race. God may take you tomorrow, but let's just assume that you've got decades to go and, uh, and run that race steadily, determinedly. It is worth keeping going. And the third image is a vigil. I have kept the faith. It's, a, it's um, uh, an image perhaps that could be applied to a guard on city walls keeping watch over the city or um, a, a person protecting something in, the, in some other way. Keep alert. Keep on your watch. Notice this. this is not encouraging some sort of obsessive, screwed up, intense obedience. When he says, I have kept the faith, we must remember the faith is 
that God in his grace has forgiven all of our sins and that as we regularly come to him, penitent for the way that we failed him, he forgives us and restores us. And so that keeping of the faith is hardly obsessive hyperlegalism. It is a simple keeping watch that I remember salvation through the death of Christ. I remember that his mercy extends to all who come to him and seek his forgiveness. I remember that Jesus paid for all of my sins on the cross and there is no sin, past, present or future, for which God will punish me. I remember that he promises that he will carry on to completion the work that he began in Christ Jesus. I remember that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I remember that there is a prize in store for me as I keep walking and putting one foot in, the, in, the, in front of the other. I'm going to keep that faith and I'm going to keep on walking, keep on fighting, keep on running. It is worth it. I really, really, from the bottom of my heart, want to commend to you a life that has convictions about it of that kind. That it is worth investing in people. There is pain, there is disappointment. Not least I've caused some of the disappointments and pain for other people here, for which I'm deeply sorry at times. That is the reality of life. but there is great joy. It is worth being poured out like a drink offering for Christ. It is worth setting out to keep going, to fight the fight, to run the race, to keep the vigil. At my um, induction service 17 and a half years ago, James Hudson Taylor was quoted. He was a great missionary statesman, missionary to uh, China, and he says, in his experience, there are three stages always in a work of God. Impossible, difficult, done. My relationship with Oxford goes back all the way to 1982, a long time before... I started um, at Magdalen Road. I was a new believer and um, I came to Oxford and somehow I sensed God calling me to the city of Oxford. I um, set out to pray regularly for the city and I did so from that uh, um, uh, very early time. I even remember that I bought a map of Oxford, an OS map of Oxford, and used to spread it out on my uh, student room floor and pray for the city with that map in front of me. Uh, there haven't been many things where I've felt so strongly called, but that was one of them. I remember we were considering missionary service. I remember having quite clear in my mind that I felt perhaps the Lord had called us to a period of missionary service and then we would come back to Oxford specifically. 
And um, in the event he didn't call us overseas, he called us to be missionaries to Oxford rather sooner than I'd expected. And um, I remember coming with just a simple sense that the Lord had called me to make a contribution to strengthening witness to Christ in the city of Oxford. And wonderful as uh, Magdalen Road was in those days, there was a sense of the impossible about really making a mark on the city at that time. I sense we've got to the stage of difficult. I sense that the Lord has uh, really strengthened Magdalen Road and um, um, blessed us in lots and lots of ways. But as I was praying about our future um, a couple of years ago, I didn't feel for me that the word done was there yet. And um, our move to Trinity Church in, a part, in part is not so much losing a sense of vision for Magdalen Road, but actually wanting to develop a sense of vision of Magdalen Road alongside a network of other churches uh, really making a difference for Christ in this city. And as I was praying, as Martin said in that slightly annoying visionary way, um, uh, I felt the Lord refine and focus that sense of call that came, what's well, 32 years ago now, that actually to take us to the next stage of making a mark for Jesus on this city that I had to go. So it's with real sadness in my heart that I complete at least this pastor relationship with Magdalen Road, but not the relationship in general. I pray hard. But a real sense that the Lord continues to have his hand upon us in general as we together seek to serve the city of Oxford and bring glory to Jesus in, uh, in Oxford and beyond. And uh, this won't be the last time I speak to you. You'll be disappointed to hear. The um, network of churches that we are, that is strengthening and growing at the moment has already invited me to speak on Good Friday, so you'll have to put up with me on that, uh, that, that occasion. But as I complete my time as pastor here, I want to say to you, it is amazing what God can do through extremely inadequate and failing people like me as we determine to invest in people, to pour ourselves out for Christ and to keep going. I want to call you to do that.